Thank you. My name is Dick, and I'm an alcoholic. Nobody but for the grace of God and the actions of AA and sponsorship. I've been sober since September the 15th, 1965, and I'm very pleased about that. I uh, also have been married to the incumbent um, <laughs> since August the 12th, 1966. And... Uh, I know that that's not a world's record or anything like that, but uh, come Monday we'll be married. For those of you who weren't paying attention, 25 years. I, uh, I, uh, doesn't have anything to do with me, I'll tell you. Um, you know, I can say this that during that period of time, my experience has been that uh, I haven't had to run around on this wife. Uh, which was something new for me. Uh, that wasn't my habit. My habit was running around on my wife. It seemed like the right thing to do to me. And uh, due to some power beyond myself, I've been able to not do that. And I think that that's kind of interesting because I ha- I've, I've wanted to run around on her a lot, and uh, but I haven't done it. You know, I've had the I've had the desire. You know, uh, people say. You know, I've heard people in AA say that you know they haven't haven't found it necessary to have a drink since such and such a date. Uh, I've found it necessary to have a drink many times since I've been in AA. But the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous is that I haven't, and that's the whole thing. No matter what my desire is, it doesn't make any difference what my desire is. There's a power here that's greater than I am, which prevents me from being me and uh, helps me to be another person. The idea of traditions and relations, by the way, is nothing new. It may sound, may seem something new in AA to some of you. But I would like to read something to you, very one one quick paragraph. Acting upon the persistent urge of old AA friends and upon the conviction that general agreement and consent among our members is now possible, I shall venture to place in words these suggestions for, quote, an Alcoholics Anonymous Tradition of Relations. Twelve points to assure our future. And that's from uh, Bill Wilson. And uh, that's the introduction that he made to the long form of the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so the idea was learning to get along with other people. And there's nothing original with this, with Peggy and I doing this. We uh, we kind of did it by accident one time at a camp out. And uh, we had a good time with it. And people really seemed to enjoy it. And uh, they have asked us to do it again, and again, and again, and again. And you'd think that that would, you know, a repetitious act like that, that we'd just be wonderful, marvelous partners all the time. But uh, I'm not always that way. She is. I'm not. Uh, I, uh, I am not an advocate of not having a relationship in the first year you're sober. Uh, which is probably just as well. You take into consideration I got uh, uh, sober up in September of 65, 
and I was married in August of 1966. So it shows you that I had some sort of a something going on during that period of time. I, uh, however, when Peggy asked me to marry her, uh, they're always asking me to marry him. I don't know what the hell this is, you know. But when uh, Peggy asked me to marry her, I said, well, I can't do that. And she said, why? And I said, because I've got to ask my sponsor. And uh, she said, uh, well, why don't you see if you can find him? So I got on the phone, and he happened to be in Dallas, Texas, attending a convention. I phoned, and he happened to be in his room, and everything was working against me. And uh, we talked about getting married in in uh, December. We're at her folks' home because we were going there anyway. And she said that was too far off, and I suggested October because I got a commission check quarterly. And she said, "Well, money is no problem." <laughs> and uh, I said, well, why don't we get married in September? My sponsor will be back in town. And she said, we aren't getting married for him. What are you doing next week? And when you go through all this routine, you know, talk about getting married and so on, you want to say, well, I don't want to get married next week. I mean, I didn't want to get married next week. I mean, if, if I'd have really told the truth, I would have said, no, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> but... Uh, I said, I guess I'm getting married. And uh, so we got married the week after that, which was uh, on the 12th of August. And uh, we were talking about this one on the 5th, I guess it was. And uh, we managed to do that. Took a runaway weekend to a motel down in Charlottesville, Virginia. Spent our honeymoon down there trying to get our things together. And, uh, you know how newlyweds are. And that was the first time we tried to do that. Uh, just so happened we were busy going to AA meetings in the meantime and becoming friends and messing around in the front seat of the car instead of the back seat, I guess. But uh, that was a change for Peggy. Um, <laughs> Hey, she said, I listened to her talk last night. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I can assure you that uh, we didn't have an emotional relationship in that, uh, in my first year of sobriety, it was, it was nothing but lust. And uh, um, in September of that year, September of 66, when I had a year of sobriety, it began to develop into an emotional relationship. So I've never been guilty of of breaking that ban in AA, which no one else ever observes either. Um, so, amazingly enough, uh, we have two alcoholics who met in Alcoholics Anonymous who had never known each other before. We have two uh, people who are relatively new in AA, and uh, we, were, we were. We were newcomers. I mean, we were. I was really a newcomer. And uh, I asked my sponsor if we could get married, and if I could, if I could get married. And uh, he says, who are you going to marry, Peggy? And I said, yeah. And he says, I guess that's okay. She's been sober longer than you. <laughs> it's been like that ever since. I get her a cup of coffee every morning, just like any good newcomer does. And uh, 
uh, take it in and put it on her bedside table and say good morning and leave the room. And uh, I find it much easier that way because uh, she's not she's she's not very conversant first thing in the morning. And uh, you know, think if I ask her questions, she kind of sits up in bed and asks me questions like, "What did you say that for last night?" Huh? And uh, she did that to me one morning, and I thought to myself, you know, I don't know what she's talking about in the first place. And I really didn't know. We'd been in a meeting the night before, and I'd said something to somebody, I guess. And she had overheard me, eavesdropping. <laughs> and uh, I don't really know what it was. Uh, it didn't, didn't really make any difference. But I thought to myself, you know, why didn't she say thank you for the cup of coffee or, or good morning? I didn't say anything. I just thought. And then I thought to myself, hmm, what I really think she ought to do is to get back into the kennel with her puppies. <laughs> and, uh, and then I just left the room and I stayed quiet that morning because I knew that if I said anything, it was just going to start trouble. And if I responded to her question, it was going to start trouble. So I just avoided it and avoided conversation with her. It's raining, it's not raining, it's sunny, it's whatever it is. You know, I didn't talk about it, whatever it was. And it, it went away. I still don't know what I said the night before. And I'm sure it wasn't important. But it had been on her mind all night long. Um, The traditions and relationships are not original with us. There are other members of Alcoholics Anonymous who have done it and talked about it, uh, talked about using the traditions and their relationships with other people. And uh, before we came along and started doing this, and uh, uh, so nothing is original in AA. We think we're being original with something, but we're really not being original. Uh, what we're doing is just trying to get along. We're trying to get along with each other. And uh, the 12 traditions allow us to do that. And to start off, Peggy is going to do the first tradition, uh, which in AA says our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Peggy? The reason we do it this way, I'm Peggy Martin and I'm an alcoholic. And the reason we do it this way is because for for the first few times we did this, we both got up here at the podium. But see, we're both alcoholics, so we fought over the microphone, which was so I and I'm always I'm pushier than Dick is, so that I'd have him pushed off practically off the podium sometimes. You know, he'd keep trying to get back on again. It was kind of uncomfortable, so we decided we'd just split them up and do it this way, and we're gonna try to run you trippingly through these things for about the next 40 or 50 minutes. And uh, that's not a lot of time, but it's all the time we've got today. So we're, if you have any questions, it, listen, I want, I mean, you know, we are, we feel kind of weird doing this, you know. You've got to know that because it's like we're sort of an ancient canon Barbie or something. You know? <laughs> and we're not. We just have a regular, we have a regular marriage. I mean, we just have a regular marriage, but it's, it's maybe a little bit better than most. I mean, it's lasted 25 years. Nothing in my lifetime has 
set fans over has ever lasted 25 years. And sometimes it's been wonderful, and sometimes it's been horrible. But it never stays wonderful, and it never stays horrible. Nothing ever does. And so I think a lot of a lot of what goes on with me anyway was I had never been married before. And I expected, the reason that, that I said money was no object was because he was making about three times as much money as I was. I was marrying him in a good thing. You know, of course money wasn't any object with me. I was getting more, you know. Because <laughs> I had 100% of what he wanted. <laughs> we do, too, don't we? <laughs> and al I think, uh, wrote this other, I, I guess it's just a rewording of it, but the first edition says our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. And then it says our common welfare should come first. A healthy relationship depends upon unity. Now, by that, what I remember about this anyway is that my mother used to say to me, if you can't say anything good about anybody, don't say anything at all. And one of the things that I, that I discovered after we started thinking about how we had placed these principles into our lives, was that, have you ever been out with a couple that bickers all the time, and it's so uncomfortable to be with them, because they seem so so centered on themselves, that everything they say, they bicker. You know, and it's like you're not even there. You know, you'll just say, well, what do you want? You, are you, do you want to order now? And, and he'll say, yes, I'll have a steak and so-and-so. And she'll say, why are you having that? You know, and then he'll say, well, it's none of your business. You know, and you're just kind of sitting there. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable because it's very self-centered. Well, one of the deals that we agreed to in the beginning, and which we pretty much adhere to, is that we do not bicker. I mean, it's just not that important. We try not to bicker. Now, we try not to take each other's inventory. That doesn't always work very well, because it doesn't always work. What I have always, what I do is when I just can't stand it anymore, when I just know truth, and I just, I just know, and it's not the big things, is it? It's walking across the floor. He has this strange way of putting his feet down when I'm not... When I'm not right with him, he chews funny. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He scatters talcum powder. He loves. He gets out of the shower in the morning and he has this man in the talcum powder. He just puts it everywhere and it goes all over the bathroom. You know, and then when he walks out in the bedroom, there's these little feet going across. It drives me crazy. It's not the big stuff. Another thing. Where does your husband or significant other squeeze the toothpaste. This is a big deal. Is he squeeze it in the end, or does he squeeze it in the middle? Dick squeezes his at the end, and he rolls it up. <laughs> I squeeze it in the middle, because then you can get rid of the top half, and you squeeze the top half all the way up to the top, and it makes sense to me. You know what we did? 
we started using two different tubes to do that. Simple. Toilet paper on the roll. Man, I'm talking about bathrooms a lot, aren't I? Toilet paper on the roll. Which way does it go? Over the top or underneath? Over the top, right? Over the top. We agreed on over the top. Thermostat. Now there's a guy underneath. <laughs> Thermostat. Somebody in our house changes it all the time. <laughs> it's never him. It's never me. And we don't have anybody over dog size else that lives in the house. And I don't think the dogs can do it. We fight about, we have thought about that at times. Directions in cars. Terrible. Terrible. Well, you should have turned there north. I mean, we can have a, we can have a World War III over getting someplace. Just getting someplace. But none of that stuff is important, is it really? So I think with this unity thing, what I, what we have tried to do is we have tried to say good things about each other. To compliment each other on the things that we have done on a daily basis. Sometimes I think we forget that. I can see the bad stuff right away. But I can't always, I, I really have to look for the good stuff. And if I try on a daily basis to say something to him that he has done well or that he, Dick is a wonderful one, he suffers fools graciously. He really does. He's a, he's a wonderful visitor. He can visit with some of the biggest jerks you've ever seen in your life at home. And put up, we've got one I call the Moat. He sponsors this guy. It's a Moat. I mean, he just, like that. He sits in there and drones on and on and on to Dick about these, I think, non-existent problems. And Dick just is so good. He visits with him and everything. And I, I have complimented him on that because I'm not a visitor. I want to get my business done and get out. You know, I mean, I am, I'm going to bed, you know, or whatever. He does that, and I think that's part of the unity of this thing. The second thing is, is that I have discovered, after having gotten a little bit more secure in myself, that I can disagree with him without being disagreeable. I can actually, and I don't know how you felt at the beginning, but I know that I always felt if somebody disagreed with me, that it meant they didn't like me. That, that nothing I said was any good, that it was a personal thing, you know. But I have come to understand that we can disagree, all of us can disagree, and it still be okay. Try going to a committee meeting sometime and not remembering that. Because, I mean, that's why we say personalities. And, um, personalities, have, you know, first principles before personalities is because of that. So I think to cooperate with one another, to, to say good things about one another and to disagree without being disagreeable helps to unify a couple. Now, don't you don't have to clap in between. Let's just get, Dick will get up here and do the second one and so forth. For our group purposes, there's one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. And the, as far as relationships is concerned, what we're talking about is there isn't a boss. There doesn't have to be a boss in a relationship. My way doesn't have to be the way. Her way doesn't have to be the way. 
except she's been sober longer than I have, leaves leaves some credence. You know, she says things like to me, well, you'll understand when you've been sober as long as I have. (laughs) And I just... Just like a little puppy dog. Believe that one. Um, But there doesn't have to be, you know, I don't have to make the decision. She doesn't have to make the decision. We can really discuss things and come to a conclusion. And if we can't come to a conclusion, we can simply not make the decision then. We can talk about it later. Because there isn't anything that goes on in life that, you know, that's so life-threatening that an instantaneous decision must be made because I think it should be made then. doesn't mean it necessarily has to be. And so we've learned to be able to communicate and be able to say, well, let's talk about it tomorrow. You know, we can't seem to agree on, you know, some sort of an idea on this. So let's talk about it tomorrow. It's no big deal today. It doesn't have to be done now or if we don't do it or if we do it, it isn't going to be the end of the world. So let's just talk about it tomorrow. And it gives us both a chance to rest and to think about it with a little clearer mind and to ruminate about it a little bit. And it ends up being okay. And uh, it's just simply a way to communicate. Uh, you know, we have to learn, we had to learn to leave our personality out of it. I had to learn to treat Peggy not like Peggy, because Peggy <clears throat> Peggy is the personality. What I had to do is to learn to treat her like my wife. How would I want my wife treated? How should my wife be treated? If I, if I was going to be written up on the front page of the New York Times, for an example, how does Dick Martin treat his wife? Not how does Dick Martin treat Peggy. It isn't that I don't love Peggy or the personality, because I do. But the, her personality and my personality disagree with the person, with my wife. And I can go along with her. And I can be loving and understanding with her. I don't have to be loving and understanding with the personality. Uh, and there's a difference. And you have to find out where that line is. That's the pur- purpose of courtship. That's why we date each other before we get married. And uh, we managed to do that for about a month and a half. Uh, I would suggest a longer time. I don't know how it worked out for us. It worked out very well, but I really don't know why it did. I think uh, we spent an awful lot of time together, and uh, we ended up coming to the conclusion that we we both had walked the same walk, and uh, both... We're alcoholics, we're both very active in AA, we both had sponsors, we both believed in sponsorship, we were both sponsoring people, we were uh, both very actively going to meetings, and, uh, uh, we also were, both had it, both were educated, and, uh, not extremely in my case, but we were both educated, and uh, we came from the uh, similar backgrounds and similar families and that sort of thing, so as a result... The, it was set up by circumstance that we could get along because we had a great deal of similarities. And uh, I know that uh, I have to value the right, uh, Peggy's right to her opinion, and, uh, and I also have to value her contribution to the relationship. 
and make it important. And uh, even sometimes when I don't think it's important, I have to act better than I feel and act as if it's important. And it makes it easy. Peg's going to do number three. The only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. And the basic requirement for a good marriage or relationship is a mutual desire to make it work. It does not happen, not for us anyway, it has not happened magically. And, you know, I look out in this audience and I see people who have obviously been married for many, many years. And this is like talking to the choir when it comes to that, because you all know what it's like to have a good marriage. But I did not. And I did not know how to get along with other people. I wanted to run everything. I mean, it was my natural inclination. I was just a bully. I was a female bully. I still am. I mean, I, I still... Uh, when I first started sponsoring people, it was terrible. And I didn't... Where is he? Oh, he went and took a nap. Anyway, Jimmy... Jimmy was was a victim. I mean, it's not just our husbands that we're talking about here, but people at work or people or my children, you know, that sort of thing. I I was an overprotective person, but I bludgeoned them into, I said, I'm going to keep you safe if it kills you, you know, kind of thing. And the, and I think the Al-Anon was talking about that this morning. You know, she said all of her children really, what they really want, they played with things that would maim or kill them, you know, and that's when they had fun. Well, it was the same way with him. And, you know, I found out something very important when, when we, I mean, I, he was, he's an alcoholic. He's sober now, but when he was drinking, what I tried to do was limit his options to meet my needs. You understand that? I would limit his options to meet my needs. In other words, I would keep him within a certain framework so that I wouldn't feel bad or be scared. And that's a full-time job. That is a full-time <laughs> job. And I had, to let, I had to let go of that. So I have to have a mutual desire to make this thing work. I have to want to be in the relationship. Dick and I still go out to dinner. We still have a date about once a week. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's great. Sometimes when we haven't had any money, we'll go to McDonald's. It doesn't matter. It's the I, it's going out. It's saying, this is our special night. You know, even if it's just an hour or so away from everybody, away from the phone, just so we can talk. And sometimes we don't talk. Sometimes we just look at each other, whatever. But, and then every morning we take our dogs for a walk. And on that walk, we either we don't structure it, but we either talk or we don't talk. Most of the time we talk because we share a lot of commonality, Dick and I. And uh, that's our time. It's our time to communicate. Because are you a good communicator? I'm a good mind reader. <laughs> I think I know what he's thinking. And he said to me, I have never thought that way in my life. <laughs> that's the way I think. And I think... The way I think he thinks the way I think, and he doesn't think the way I think. He's not me. He's a different person entirely. You know, he is his own man. So, uh, another thing was this. Whenever I 
felt threatened, what I would do in the beginning is I would say, well, we'll just get a divorce. I just said, we'll just, you know, we'd be fighting or something. And I said, we'll just get a divorce. And finally, one day, he turned around and he said, don't ever say that again unless you mean it. And I haven't. Because you know what that's like? It's not a commitment, is it? Because I always had my hand on the doorknob. My hand was always on the doorknob when I said things. I could always turn the knob and cut and run. And I don't want a relationship like that. I don't want to be it to be a provisional thing where, well, if you don't do this, I'll leave. I mean, that's not love. That's terrorism. You know? And I think that's the way I was. I didn't have friends. I took hostages. I didn't have boyfriends. You know, I kidnapped them. And if they didn't mind, I threw them off. You know, as well. You know, go home or whatever. I mean, I use sex as a blackmail, too. I mean, if you want what I have and you're willing to go to any lengths to get it, then <laughs> you'd be ready to take certain steps at some of these young boss. You think you can find an easier, softer way. But you could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough when it comes to this act. Anyway, but that was the way I operated, you know. If you want what I have and so forth and so on. Dick didn't respond to that very well. We had to work through some difficult times in sex, too, because yeah, I don't know if you guys know, have any of you have experienced this, but sometimes uh, the spirit is willing and the body is weak. And after drinking a couple of quarts of vodka a day for God knows how long, his, his body was a little weak in some areas. <laughs> we spent the honeymoon finding it out, too, so... <laughs> But you know what happened? It drew us closer. It made us closer. And of course, I wanted to hit him. <laughs> and uh, since then, he is, a, and he is very innovative when it comes to sex. He is, as I told you last night, he has used the red bow at Christmas time, you know, and the mask at Halloween, and introduced me to the wonders of Cool Whip. I never knew. <laughs> Whatever works, honey. But I mean, God, have a have fun. Because we had used, at least I had used, sex as a tool. It was just something to get something. I never really had a lot of fun with it, you know. I just, I preferred to drink, frankly. And uh, I did. And after I sobered up, uh, unfortunately, uh, this happens to a lot of women. When I sobered up, I didn't care to, thank you. I mean, it's weird. Because when we get sober, we, when I was drinking, I was loose, a little loose, I guess you'd call it. And I sobered up, and I just, you thought I was virginal or something, you know. So I'm very sorry. We don't scream in our family, you know. And, of course, it's no fun when you can't have fun. You know, so he teased me and badgered me and tickled me into having fun. And, and that's a part of our relationship. It, it's it's sort of sex as we remember it anymore. I mean, it's getting kind of like that because I haven't seen him for a week, so <laughs> my memory fades fast when I'm this age. 
I'll have to renew it tonight. <laughs> so, you know, to have this kind of a relationship, you have to want to be in it. And I think wanting to be in it and, and wanting to work at it, not being afraid to know that it's going to be work. It's not going to be the fairy coming out and striking you on the head and you have these sparks fly up and everything. You know, it's a, Clancy has a wonderful story about expectations where, you know, somebody will call him and say, you know, oh, I've met her. I've met her. He said, what happened? Well, we were having lunch. And I reached for the salt and our hands touched and sparks flew up and... And I, we fell to the floor in a frenzy of emotion, you know, and this kind of thing. And then check in with the same couple in six months, and they're having lunch, and their hands both reach for the salt, and he says, pass me the goddamn salt, you know. And that's the way relationships are. You know, it's not going to stay the earth moved. Remember in For Whom the Bell Tolls, the, the scene in For Whom the Bell Tolls where the earth moved? Well, it may jitter a little from time to time, but it doesn't always move like that. And I think understanding that and accepting that helps. Well, this is going to be kind of interesting. Uh, I've never worn a mask at Halloween. <laughs> uh huh. No, 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 no. Uh huh. all this time, I just saved myself for her. She has this mask man committed Halloween. Each group should be autonomous, accepting ma- except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Each partner should be autonomous, except in matters affecting the other partner, the family, or society as a whole. And what that very simply means to me is I can do whatever I want to do, as long as it doesn't affect Peggy or my family in a negative way. I can do, I can take any principled act that I wish to do. I can do any principal thing that I want to do. I don't have to have her permission to do it. You know, I, any principal thing, I inform her of what I'm going to do if it's a principal thing. She informs me of what she's going to do if it's a principal thing. If I have an AA request, I fulfill the AA request and I tell her of the AA request. And I, if it's a social Request somebody asks, you know, would you all come over to dinner or something like that? I always say, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm I'm available, but I don't know whether Peggy is or not, and I'll have to ask her. And we always confer on any social engagements, but uh, because I'm not going to make a commitment for her, no matter what it is. Someone people call and periodically and say, well. You know, we'd like for you all to come speak or something like that. And uh, I said, well, thank you very much. I'll be delighted to. I know I'm open, but I can't make a commitment for Peggy. She has to answer that herself. Here she is, or you'll have to call her back, or she'll call you back, or whatever it happens to be. So 
you can't commit someone else. I, I'm not in charge of her life. God's in charge of her life. I turned her over to God a long time ago. He did a better job than I did because when I ran her life, she used to, she bristled and uh, didn't particularly care for it. So what I had to, what I had to learn to do was something that was really very simple. I had to learn that, you know, I don't have any rights. You know, I don't have a right to do this or a right to do that. Uh, nor do I expect that she would have any rights. It's not her right to do this or that or the other. I have to think of her and I have to think of what she has, her responsibilities that she has agreed to do. And I have to think of the responsibilities that I have and that I've agreed to do. And if she can't get hers done, I'm helpful and I try to help her get hers done if she wants me to. Uh, if she asks me to, really. I don't interfere because sometimes I'd rather do it myself uh, if I interfere. So if she asks me, I will be glad to help. Or if I see something needs to be done and that she knows very well end up doing it for her. But I can't take an action that, that presses up and presses her and that commits her. And she has to take all of this for herself. And I have to allow her to do that, although I may not want her to do them or whatever. Uh, it's really none of my business. As long as what she's going to do is principled, as long as what I'm going to do is principled, it's none of my business what she does, and it's none of her business what I do. And we trust each other and respect each other accordingly, that we're going to fulfill those obligations, and that we're not going to do something that's going to reflect, reflect in a negative manner on our partner. I think it's fine. One of, one of the things I wanted to mention that kind of follows up on that is that one of the things that I have noticed in sponsoring people in AA, and there's a couple of girls that I sponsor in the audience, is that jealousy, um, which I don't think either one of those girls has been necessarily jealous, but jealousy is one of the most destructive emotions that there is. There is nothing you can do to prove that you can be you understand what I'm saying? It's like, if I'm jealous of this, which it doesn't have to be one of my character defects, and knock on wood, um, but if I am, there's nothing he can do to prove to me that he is trustworthy or that he loves me. There is nothing more frustrating than constant demands for love and reassurance. You can never... You can never reassure someone enough. You can never tell them. You know what I'm saying? If I, it's like I used to think that I was fat. Okay? This, it, I'll get to the point in a minute. I mean, about the jealousy thing. But it's a correlation. I used to think I was fat. And I used to say to Dick, am I fat? Now, if he said yes, I would be very upset. If he said no, I would think he was lying, just to save my feelings, okay? So what he did was he had a compromise. He said, yes, you are, between your ears. And that meant that what I thought was incorrect about my weight and that kind of thing. That way he didn't have to try to prove to me that I was one way or the other. You see what I'm saying? Jealousy is like that. You can't prove anything. You can't, you know... Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It drives me crazy when somebody, by their actions or their words, 
says, do you love me? Do you love me? Over and not once or, you know, but dozens of times. And it, it's born out of our own insecurities and our feelings of inferiority, and I know that. But it drives people away. It drives me away. Because I feel helpless in the situation. I feel frustrated. I can't, I can't tell you enough how much I love you. I can't, I can't make you believe me. And so, fortunately for Dick and I, we have not had to do that. But I've seen many AA couples in which that has happened. And it, it, it just, you get tight-jawed about the whole thing. And it, it, it's tough because you can't do it. You can't prove it. Each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Each marriage or relationship has but a primary purpose to serve as, as an expression of God's love. Um, one of the things that, that this comes to my mind is that my membership in AA is almost a prerequisite to this marriage. We met and married in Alcoholics Anonymous. We had, like uh, uh, Nancy was saying this morning, an AA wedding. We actually got married by a judge who was in AA, or his brother was in AA. And uh, down at the courthouse, and we had AA people were at the wedding, and we had an AA reception, and, you know, the whole nauseating thing. And uh, the only thing I did was I... I like what Shirley says about being Kmart Cora. You know, I went out and bought my wedding dress at Kmart because we didn't have much money in those days. And it was a very nice dress, too, I might add. Um, but my, our membership in AA was, was a part of our marriage. I mean, it, because I had never known him drinking. I had not known him before he started to recover. And it's a good thing because... I didn't like him much when I first met him anyway. I mean, he, he was very skinny. He was very arrogant. He was, had been married before. He had ex-wife and ex-children and all kinds of, you know, child support and alimony and all this stuff, you know. And it was, it was, there was a lot of baggage with it that I didn't bargain on because, see, I was going to marry a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. I, I, it was not my ambition to marry an AA member. You know, I mean, I never thought of it that way. But as it turns out, our membership and our and our being sponsored and sponsoring, have you ever felt like telling her something that you just know will just rip her heart out? I mean, I, I'm like a honey badger. When I get mad, I know the exact thing to say that'll just rip it up. And I shouldn't say that. I should not say that. And and what I have to do is when I get into those truth-knowing type of things, I have to shut up. I had a little sign that I kept that says, when in doubt, shut up. That's very wise because, you know, those once those words are out in the air, you can't draw them back in. They go from here to someone's ears. And you can't take them back. And you can say, you can make amends, but sometimes some of the things that we can say, we never ever make amends for entirely can you they just don't forget they don't forget it and they might they might forget it but they may not be able to forgive the emotion that they're behind it and that's that's tough because some days I just wait you know like this right in the he's nice in the morning he's really pretty nice period he's nice in the morning 
I am not nice in the morning. I mean, I don't like to get up in the morning. And, and I, I like to take a nap in the afternoon. And I like to go to bed at night. So I kind of like to sleep a lot, I guess. But I, you know, but when I, but I, I'm fully charged when I'm awake. I suppose that's what it amounts to. And so he has very, very cautiously and carefully avoided me in, in my morning times. I remember he gave me an article one time that said that this woman drew, she just got absolutely furious when her children at breakfast asked her, do turtles mate with their shells on or off? And she just had a kind of a nervous breakdown over that, you know. And I know how she, I know how she feels. I think only dull people are brilliant at breakfast. I really do. I think, you know, people like me have to take a couple hours to get the old brain moving, you know, and have their prayers and stuff like that. So, um, to, to emphasize the positive in a marriage. It's not easy, is it, to say good things to people? Because don't you feel kind of dopey doing it? You know, you're a wonderful guy. You're so sweet, you know. I feel dopey. You know, I feel like it's gushy. You know, that that I get embarrassed at myself, you know, when I say that. I turn red. And, and But it gets better with practice, you know, where you say you're a loving man. And mean it. I do mean it. You're a loving man. But when I first started saying it, you're a loving man. Loving man, you know. <clears throat> Loving man, you know, you're a very good provider. You know, I mean, it was hard for me to do these things. It was hard because my pride didn't want me to do it. You know, it's just like, if I give you a piece of me, you might hurt me or something or chomp me up or something, you know. It was hard for me to let down that barrier of pride because I was fearful. I was afraid I was going to get hurt in this thing. I was terrified. I'll never forget when Dick, he was so wonderful about it. You know, he, he started to cry. I mean, I did ask him to marry me. And uh, he started to cry and said, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can be married. I'm scared. And I thought, oh, I mean, tears, I'll just melt my, melt my everything. You know, I mean, it's just, I just, I've never seen a man cry before. My father never cried. You know, and, and he should have sometimes. You know, it would have been better for him if he tried. You know, and I just thought it was wonderful. So I think that's really that 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 that's what the fifth does. We really know how to get them, don't we? We're just so sensitive. Man, it works every time. What we really are is. Assholes. <laughs> but we don't know we're being that. I mean, we're, you know, we really don't know. I mean, this isn't a matter of seduction. An A group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the A name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. And, uh, this means that this talks about being overly supported. You know, we should support each other. Certainly, but not be overly supportive. Because if I if I do her job for her and if I do her thing for her, then she's never going to learn to do it herself. She's not going to be responsible for her actions. Uh, you know, as far as money and and property are concerned, you know, it's it's not. 
Uh, it's not that my family is wealthier than hers, or hers is wealthier than mine, or they're better than mine, or mine are better than hers, or whatever. It doesn't make any difference. They just happen to, we pass through them. You know, uh, we're not them. You know, I don't have to have any pride from the fact that my parents were this, and, nor she. It doesn't make any difference. You know, it doesn't make me any better or or less because my parents were what they were. Nor does it make her any better or worse because her parents are what they are. And uh, so it's not a comparative thing. We just bring with us to this relationship what we are. And uh, but the object is that is for me to understand that if I uh, if I'm overly supportive to Peggy then uh, she's never going to learn to do it herself. She's not going to learn to be self-supporting. And uh, that's very necessary, as Peggy will tell you, in the seventh tradition. One of the things that I, I hate is women who are clinging vines. And I don't have much experience at being a clinging vine, uh, because I've always really wanted to run everything, and I wanted everything to be run on my terms, because uh, it just seemed like I knew like it was the right thing to do or something, you know, it was the best way, and that sort of thing. And, you know, when we treat people like they don't have good sense, they resent it. Look at that guy, he's poking, poking somebody sitting next to him. They resent it. They resent it when we treat them like they're idiots. And because they think we think they're idiots, which we act like we think that they're idiots. I mean, that's me anyway. So, and, and we ins- we also, when we take over and run everything, we also ensure their failure of ever being able to do anything. But, on the other hand, I also have to be, I believe, it's my responsibility. I cannot be a kept woman. I'd like to be a kept woman. I'd like to have jewels. You know, this friend of mine, she's been married 10 measly years, and she got this diamond that's huge for being married to one of his pigeons for one for 10 years. We're going to be married 25 years, and he said that his present to me was to be married another 25 years if he could make it. You know, this was his present to me, and I understand that. But it's my, I'd love to have a big rock. See? But I don't want to pay for it. Either. I don't want to charge it. I don't want to pay for it. I don't want, I don't need that kind of thing. I am prouder of something that I have worked for and picked out myself than anything that anybody has ever really given me. Don't you, aren't you? I mean, when you, when you work for something, when when you have a really nice party for somebody, or you have, you do a really nice deed for somebody, that makes me feel better about myself. And to me, see, this thing is, it talks about money in this seventh tradition, but what is really important is not only the fact that we can be self-supporting with money. That means if we're not working, that, that we I have to do whatever job it is. It's my job to do. That's being self-supporting. That's if if Dick is working and I'm not working outside the home, then my job is the home. And I added up my jobs one time at home, 
and I gave them a monetary value. And if I charged the going rate for everything that I did when I was not working, when I was just working at home, he could not have afforded me. <laughs> Chauffeur, chef, upstairs maid, laundress, babysitter, lady of the night. <laughs> And it was like I should be earning $60,000 a year or something. You know, that made me feel self-supporting, by God. You know? And if it works, it works. <laughs> I mean, she's okay, but she ain't worth $250,000 a year. I'll tell you that. Uh, I'm going to do a couple of them here, and Peggy's going to do a couple, and then I'm going to end it up. Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers, and that means that our marriage relationship should, remember, should remain free and giving relationship one to the other. Uh, I'm not a professional husband. I don't know what a, I don't know what a husband's supposed to be or what a husband's not supposed to be. I don't have to know what a husband's supposed to be or what a husband's not supposed to be. The only thing that I have to know is how do I have to act? What am I supposed to do? You know, and we have described many of those things earlier. But, uh, you know, I'm, I have a profession and had several of them in my life. And I knew how to do those things better than Peggy knew how to do them. But, uh, and she's had professions in her life. She's had one profession. We were talking about something upstairs major. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're we're not experts. We're just in this thing together, just two human beings, just trying to make our way. And just like two little kids, just wandering down the path and seeing who does it best, and whoever does it best does it, and that's it. Peggy, I don't like to balance checkbooks, for an example. I really don't like to. I mean, I believe what the bank says. I mean, I really don't care. I know that there's enough money in there to cover the checks I write. And whether it ends up to the penny or not is of no consequence to me. I could really care less. You know, I'd rather deposit a check of $300 and say it's $275 just so I got cushion in there rather than to play with the damn thing. I mean, I honestly would. I really don't care. And uh, uh, Peggy cares. Oh, she really cares. She wants it right down to the penny. And if it doesn't come to the penny, she ha she tossed me the checkbook the other day. She couldn't get it balanced. And I thought it was kind of funny. She tossed it to me, somebody who get, I could care less. You know, my adjustment to it would be match the bank balance. X. <laughs> and uh, that's the way I really wanted to do it. And I sat there and played with it. Adding, you know, a calculator. Finally ended up getting it straightened out. It's a simple enough thing that I, that she had forgotten about. But, uh, I know that again, I have to move on and, and I'm going to talk about the tenth tradition. Which says Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name will never be drawn into public controversy. And what that means in a relationship is, you know, we don't need to get into a heated controversy. When we get into a heated controversy, the big book says, suggests that we say something to the effect, this is getting serious. Let's talk about it later. 
my sponsor tells me when you get in a heated controversy, the best thing to do is to either kill them or go out and make a 12-step call. You know, take a walk, get out of the room, get away, just get away from them. And it makes it a heck of a lot, just walk away and just let them sit over there and steam and stutter. It doesn't make any difference. You don't care! You're right! (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's, heated controversy gets me absolutely nowhere. I accomplish nothing by it. All I do get, do is get mad, and then I think that there, when I get mad, I think everybody else is dumb. I mean, that's the only way I can put it. You know, I think I'm surrounded by idiots when I get mad. And uh, I've been mad before. I used to be mad a lot when I was drinking. I was just so angry and uh, all the time. And I don't want to be that way because I just felt terrible. I felt terrible about other people. I didn't like me, but that was a given. But I really, really didn't like other people. And uh, so anger is not something that works well with me. So I have to avoid it. Anger is the wind that blows out the light of the mind. And uh, it really does with me. Peggy's going to do uh, 9 and 11. Oh, yes. Okay. AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they shirk. Third, a family or relationship should be pliable in its organization, but our group conscience may appoint certain persons to be responsible and so forth. And I do the checkbook because I care. And I think that's really a good way to go about doing whatever. Dick and I both, especially since Jim has, I have turned, Jim, I, was, I think I was really good about this too, because I turned him over to Maya. Because, and Maya's just another little me. She's just skinnier and shorter, that's all. She's just like me. And, so I, and I've loved her from the beginning. But once Jim was out of the house, then it was just Dick and I, you know, and we, we share all of the duties, so, because we both work. And I'm also an artist. And I believe in spontaneity. I, I do watercolor. As a matter of fact, I just had a show, and I was just so thrilled, because it's so, it's hard for me to say I'm an artist. You know, it's like, well, I, it's like, Somebody will say, you know, I like that dress, and I and I I want to say, oh, I bought it at the Goodwill, you know, or something. You know, I can't. I don't know how. I, I I'm better at taking compliments and just saying thank you now. But I, I always seem to have to explain what it was, you know. Or if I got my hair cut, you know, somebody would say, oh, I like your hair, and my first thought was, didn't you like it the other way? You know, I mean, I just I just feel alcoholic in that direction. But I like to be spontaneous. And I like to do things that are fun, not not have always have, which is why I like him and sex because he he he's innovative, you know. And I never know what to expect, whether he's going to jump up and down on the bed or what, you know. But it's fun. It's it's fun. It's spontaneous. And that's the way this organization of the family has to be: is whoever is going to, whoever cares, do it. You know, don't. We used to have a gal in our group that. I think Kirk knows. Kirk may be in here or not. Anyway, she used to have family night. Wednesday night was family night. And they were going to bake cookies and they were going to be a family. They were going to play Parcheesi or Monopoly or something. And they were all going to get along and everybody was going to be happy. 
And every Wednesday night, she would call me up and she was sobbing because one of them was asleep on the couch and the other one did not want to play Parcheesi. You know, I mean, they just, you can't regiment people. You can, this, we used to call it Sheridan's Family Night because you can't, and she laughs about it now because I've told her so many times. You can't do that. But just get up and do something funny once in a while. Dick is very good at that. He's very good at just spontaneously doing something. Matter of fact, Maya said the other day, I hope when you get when you get senile, we don't have to confine you to the backyard for singing dirty songs or something. You know? <laughs> he says, well, you'll have to take care of me because I won't know, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, um, and, and, you know, I think we should allow for a little gaiety and spontaneity and just for the hell of it in our lives, too, you know, because we have a lot of structure in our lives. And so I think once in a while we just need to spring out and do something just a little bit crazy, a little bit fun. And I think it helps the relationship to do that. The 11th tradition, this is a kind of a touchy one, and I hope I don't offend anybody when I say this. This is, says, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity, etc. Each person, each partner best conveys his or her beliefs and philosophy by attraction rather than promotion. Now, I keep this thing very simple. And when I talk about attraction, I'm talking about being neat and clean and brushing my teeth. I, I have had so many girls have problems in their relationship because they did not practice good grooming. And this is a touchy subject, but, but it's tough to kiss somebody that they don't brush their teeth but once a week. It's not fun. It's yucky. And that's not attractive. So even if we're plain as a board fence, I'm not pretty, but I try to per I try to be perky. You know, I try to keep clean and I don't have to have a lot of money to do that. I can just get my hair cut, wash my hair. Keep, take a bath every day, brush my teeth, because remember, I remember Joanne Woodward, Paul Newman said one time years ago about why he didn't run around on why why they had been married so long, why he didn't run around on his wife. He said, "Why go out for hamburger when I've got steak at home?" Now, I want to be steak. I want to be the best Peggy Martin that I can be. I want to do the best I can with this raw material. And and in doing that, I can be and I can be in as best as I can be. Same thing's true with my personality. I don't want to be a bitch. Sometimes I do, but I mean I don't want to be a lot of times. I don't want to be. I don't want to be a rag. You know, that kind of thing. I don't want to be that way. Sometimes I seem driven to it, you know, and and so I, you know, I, I prefer when that kind of thing happens. It's better for me to go outside and exercise, or take a walk, or something, because I or clean the oven, or go paint, you know, or or something. Do a pretty picture, you know. Do something with, you know, that takes a lot of movement and stuff. Watercolors like that. Stop working on the situation so hard. Just get away from it, you know. That's the best kind of paintings are happy accidents. They just happen, you know. And I think sometimes we, 
we bedevil something too much. You know, why am I a bitch today? Well, who cares? You know, you are. You know, just go take it out on some trees outside or something. Go out and dig in the yard. I love to dig in the yard. It's good for you. It bakes the baddies out of you and stuff, you know. And I like that. We have a tough time being intimate with each other. And there are, at, at, there are areas in which we just don't want to, uh, there's social intimacy, physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, mental in, uh, intimacy, and spiritual intimacy. And, and you can ask me about those later because we really, truly don't have very much time. But we don't like to do that because, again, we think it's gonna, we're going to be hurt. We think someone else is going to hurt us. We lay ourselves open and we're afraid they're going to hurt us. But, and we're not good at intimacy, but, but we can do it. And we can start out by touching one another in a kindly way. There's not a day that goes by that we don't hug each other or give each other an attaboy or pat each other on the back or just let each other know that we care. That's a physical thing. The eye contact is, it's okay, hon. You okay? You know, it'll be okay? You know, just those little, little things, the talking, the sharing of secrets. The sharing of the beauty, the sharing of funny stories, the exercise of a sense of humor. I would not still be married if I did not have a sense of humor. I can make something funny out of something tragic, and that's okay for me. It's not hiding. It's simply changing my perspective on things. You know, and, and I'm married to the best guy in the world for me. He may not be the best guy in the world, but he's the best guy in the world for me. And as long as I know that, and as long as I continue to, to tell him that, not for him, but for me, I suspect if he doesn't croak on me or I don't croak on him, then I'll be married to him until we are very old and they have to put us in the AA home together. I would certainly hope so anyway, and I know I can do that if I follow these principles. And Dick will finish up. <laughs> Twelfth tradition says anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. Ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And that's what we're all talking about. That's what we've been talking about this afternoon. Talking about, talking, talking about placing principles before personalities. We're talking about doing loving, kind, considerate, cooperative, understanding things. Instead of being jealous and angry and competing, uh, those sorts of things are, they just foment difficulty. And so I have to remember that, you know, being selfless is what it really amounts to. You know, if I don't feel like doing something, doesn't mean that I don't do it. If I don't feel like doing something, I just do it anyway. What difference does it make? It'll pass. You know, there's no big deal about that. I uh, I can remember being a sensitive soul and wanting to make love one night, saying something to Peggy and saying, I don't really want to, but if you want to, okay. And boy, I mean, that's a real whipper-upper, I'll tell you. And, uh, and uh, I said, hey, it just takes five minutes. What's the big damn deal? And... Uh, that's placing principle ahead of personality. Yeah. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? 
and it inevitably having sex is something that's enjoyable for both partners, and uh, that's the way it should be. It's a, sex is a you know a loving act between consenting adults, as far as I'm concerned, with a little fun thrown in so you can do it again. Um, but we're talking about being selfless. We're talking about being friends. We're talking about being principled. We're talking about really caring, acting as if you care, and doing caring actions for your partner. And uh, those things are the basic principles of unselfishness. It doesn't have to be my way. It can be our way. Uh, cooperate. Trust and respect our partners. Uh, don't get into the conversations you could have said, you know, if they could have said it a different way, they probably would have said it that way. Maybe they didn't mean it that way. You know, be kind. Take into consideration that it's our house and our cars, our dogs, our mess, our house, our money, you know, our kitchen. It's not mine. It's ours. Everything belongs to us. It doesn't belong to one or the other. That doesn't mean that I don't have private possessions. It doesn't mean that Peggy doesn't have private possessions. She probably has things that I don't even know she has because I don't look at her possessions. You know. They're hers. It's none of my business. She doesn't look at mine. You know, it's none of her business. We just don't care. The twelfth tradition in the long form says, and finally we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe, that the principle of anonymity, doing something else, something for someone else without asking anything in return, has an immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we're to place principles before personalities, that we are act to actually to actually practice a genuine humility. This to the end that our great blessings may never spoil us and that we shall forever live in thoughtful contemplation of him who presides over us all. What that means to me, if I'm able to live in some thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all, that means that I've got peace in my life. Because when I'm, I can't think about him who presides over us all when I'm all torn up. And I'm angry and I'm beside myself. I just can't. All I can think about is me and my rights and what I deserve and I deserve better than this and that's all there is to it. And, uh, I can't think, I can't think of him who presides over us all in any fashion. I can't think of Peggy in a loving way when I'm mad, when I'm exercising my rights and saying, saying, I think that I, um, but when we do it together and we do live our lives together, as an end result, what, what ends up happening is that we have some peace and we can go on a walk and we can take the dogs and we can go with our friends and we can be with other people. And uh, we can live in some harmony and some peace because we've been principled with each other. I would like to think that we would be able to do this forever on an ongoing basis, day in and day out. Uh, but we can. 
we're just human beings, and we make mistakes like everybody else does. And uh, we're not perfect. We never will be perfect. We won't do it perfectly. But we have done it well. You know, I think that if my father, if he was living now, he would be able to see, be able to say, you know, you've done a good job. Good for you. And uh, my sponsor says that to me. Sometimes when I think he shouldn't. Mm-hmm. He says, good for you. Good for you. I remember I talked all him on the phone and told him that I was sober for 25 years, or 20 years, and uh, thank him for his input in my life. And he said, oh, good for you. And I thought, you know, being sober requires more than that. Yeah, more than a good for you. But when I thought about it another second, I realized it was good for me. And it was a big deal for me. It wasn't a big deal for him. He'd been sober 27 years. Yeah, no big deal at all. And uh, uh, I'm pleased to be married to Peggy, and she is a good friend and my companion. And uh, uh, maybe we'll shoot for another 25 years. I don't think I'll make it, but she might. Uh, But we're going to give it a shot, and we're going to try it with God's help and your help and your example. Your examples, good and bad, we'll be able to make it another day. That's all we're trying for. Thank you very much.